Hello and welcome to Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the finest video games of the last 30 years. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I am joined by my childhood friend, Christopher Dow. Someone who really likes video games. And my adulthood friend, Mr. Minty Booth. Can you imagine? It's me again. And we are discussing our top 100 video games of all time. This week we have our number 98s. But before we do that, Chaplingtons, what have you been playing this week? Well, I have been away in New York for part of the week on uh, a school school residential trip. Don't you mean New Donk City? Yes, yeah, New Donk City. Uh, and it's just like it is in Mario Odyssey as well, you, you wouldn't believe. But I, I didn't play that much when I was away because it was a very kind of full-on trip. But as soon as I came home, I was excited to find that the weekend demo for Tetris Effect has just dropped on PlayStation Network. I've heard a lot about Tetris Effect. It's not just like Tetris on the Game Boy, which is the last Tetris game I played. Apparently it's like... It's a VR game, isn't it? It is a and VR it's... game. It's a fully immersive visual extravaganza. It is. Yeah, because I watched a video of a Tetris master playing it for the first time, and it looked incredible. Mm, how have you been finding it, Chris? It is one of the most beautiful things I've, I've ever seen. Uh, and the first stage honestly moved me to tears. <laughs> and that, that's a real, like, it seems like I'm hyperbolizing, that I'm just making it up. But there's something about kind of the the weight and importance of Tetris for, for as a game I've played for most of the last 30 years, finally reaching this sort of form and being directed by, uh, what's his name, Tetsuya Mitsugushi, maybe? Uh, who's done Res and Luminez, two other games I'm, I'm a big fan of. And it just comes together in such a, a wonderful way that I'm now counting the hours uh, until the 9th when it launches fully. Absolutely. I also downloaded it and played it this afternoon. Uh, and I was equally perhaps slightly less equally (laughs) blown away by it, but I was blown away by it nonetheless. I mean, it's a perfect example of something simple done perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. Like for me, the best 3D games aren't the games that go, well, it's a big action sort of game, so it has to be in 3D. It's where the, you know, it's been used cleverly. And I think we spoke a little bit about this last episode about uh, VR and Tetris Effect really felt like that it was say it was you know it was using so many aspects of what you can do in VR with full immersion surround sound to give you the most insanely beautiful kind of experience of something that is rooted in something so familiar absolutely I mean I mean, as, as a last little aside, because I don't want to go on about it for three hours, because it could easily be one of those. <laughs> Obviously, this this game, Test Effect, is not eligible for our lists because of how we structured it. And we said, once we started recording the first episode, no movement kind of thing. But Test Effect would rank very highly, I would imagine, on mine, just based on the demo alone. I uh, had my friend Stephen Smith round playing it, and he remarked, who would have thought that in 2018 I would be this excited about Tetris. <laughs> and what a lovely quote that is. Indeed. On a similar note, a game that I have been playing, which again would certainly be in my top 100 if we hadn't have drawn a line under it, which is I've continued from last week playing Dark Souls Remastered on the Nintendo Switch. I have not been able to pull myself away from it, despite the fact that Red Dead Redemption 2 has arrived for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I just couldn't stay away from Dark Souls. It was just too addictive. But more importantly, because of how hard Dark Souls is, the only way you can really get through it is by having such a firm grasp of the controls that I couldn't risk 
diluting that with playing another <laughs> kind of third person action game. Yeah, I felt that when I, um, for the past few weeks, I've been switching between Mario 3 on the NES Classic and Shovel Knight. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. Yeah, so there's very, very subtle chain differences in the, uh, in the buttons um, and it just throws you off yeah. wildly. Absolutely, I had a I I had a great time playing The End Is Nigh not too long ago, mm. and thought, oh, I should probably get round to playing Super Meat Boy for yeah. it is so similar, and I got it and was I just couldn't I couldn't it took me so long to get used to it. I think with that as well, like they're both just like one button games, aren't they? It's just jump, yeah. But it's the difference in like momentum and the difference in kind of like stickiness of characters and those really like granular differences. Stickiness of character, yeah, that's oh, it. Love that. I'm sorry to say that I've probably spoken to the neighbourhood cats more than I've played video games this week. What? What I normally say is, oh, hello. Hello. <laughs> it's me. I've lived here for two years. <laughs> hello. <laughs> oh, you think you're better than me with your tuxedo? Practice tigers. That's all they are. I played about half an hour of uh, Labyrinth and Refrain again on Saturday morning. I'm in the fourth dungeon and I'm half the size of a blade of grass and the final boss of the area is a bee. Oh, that's fun. (laughs) And he's very scary and I can't beat him because I don't quite understand the game mechanics. Let's move on to the real reason why we are here. This week we have our number 98 and starting us off is my one. My game that comes in at number 98 is, I believe, the first video game I ever owned. Now that's a milestone. I'm racking my brains now to try and work out what this might be. So I remember it must have been, I don't know what birthday it was, but it's probably six or seven. And all Game Boys came with Tetris. Relevant. It is. However... I I played quite a lot of Tetris on some friends' Game Boys, and I was quite determined that I I I, I wasn't gonna. I was like, well, it's just one, just does one thing, doesn't it? Tetris, it's just blocks. So I said to my parents, I said, you know, I I don't want Tetris with my Game Boy. Is there any way that you know I could get it with with a different a different game? And the game I requested was this game. Go on. <laughs> Back in the early 60s. (laughs) (laughs) Carry on, I'm sorry. This game was none other than the classic movie tie-in game, Jurassic Park, for the Game Boy. On the Game Boy? Mm -hmm. I would not have called that. This was one of those entries where when I was compiling this ranking, I thought, I'm 100% sure this has never appeared on anyone's top 100 games of all time list ever. Definitely not. And not because it's not good, because I think it is actually a really, really good little action adventure game. And it's stuffed with dinosaurs, as you would expect. Yeah, as expected. As you would expect. But it reminds me of the time when Jurassic Park came out, and my parents thought it was probably a bit too scary for me at that age, and I think they were right. But it didn't stop me being totally obsessed with it, nonetheless. When we got it on video, me and my brother Alex, we must have watched it on repeat, I think, just all the time. And I loved it. I loved the, I loved the, um, the film. And I still do. Is it like a high-ranking film for you as well? Yeah, certainly. I love it. I think it's quintessential Spielberg. It is shocking how good the effects hold up. Yeah, absolutely. 25 years old, isn't it? 
And it's still looking yeah. incredible. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and also, extraordinarily, Spielberg made that in the same year that he made Schindler's List. It's like, what a one-two. Mm. Like, that's, that's, that's tonal whiplash, though. It's ridiculous. It? Dinosaurs he did. are Nazis. So it reminds me of a time in my childhood when uh, I was absolutely obsessed with Jurassic Park. You had all the merch like a poser. I believe I had a notebook. I believe I possibly had some pencils. Classic 90s tie and tat, isn't it? A notebook and some pencils. (laughs) Wonderful. It was Uh, the best we had, mate. I had a Tasmanian Devil Filofax and some pencils. Oh, Never whatever happened it. to Filofaxes? They still, again, going off on a tangent, they still sell them in kind of like the spy kits is probably the closest you get. Oh. The sort of like kids' station kits they always sell at the works and places like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where you get kind of like the little Filofax and you get a magnifying glass and a pen that writes in invisible ink and all that sort of shit. Just a bottle of piss. <laughs> Cover your tracks. <laughs> Right, I'm going to get this back on track. Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park on the Game Boy. Okay. Three, two, one. I was absolutely determined that the Jurassic Park game was what what I needed in my life rather than rather than Tetris. And I think it probably took me about two years to actually sort of beat the first level because I didn't really know what I was doing. I was very young, and I but I enjoyed sort of walking around and shooting dinosaurs, which now I think about it, is, it probably wouldn't fly today. When I kind of really got into it and I sort of realised actually how the game worked in terms of what you needed to do and sort of going into some of the labs and getting key cards to get into certain bits and there were bosses and there was like a triceratops stampede you had to survive and um, and it was great. I mean, it was really... There was a bazooka and the music was fantastic and a special shout out must go, of course, to the composer of that soundtrack, my namesake, composer Jonathan Dunn. What a legend. I uh, I just I absolutely loved it, and I think that I genuinely would still love it if I played it today. Is it like a top-down game? It is. It was very similar to the James Bond game that was on the Game Boy. Okay, yeah, I, I do remember that one. Reminded me a lot of that, except you know, less international travel. That's all he is. He's glorified <laughs> travel agents, isn't he, James Bond? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the bit interesting back then was when you had like licensed games like that. They were different on every platform. Yeah. We really don't have that anymore. We, we essentially have just like one game that is ported across whatever is existing at the time and, and has been for quite a while. Absolutely. But back then, because I, I have played like a, maybe the Mega Drive Jurassic Park briefly at some stage and it was top down, but I'm sure it was significantly different from the Game Boy and the SNES and, and anything else that came out around that era. But yeah, I absolutely loved it. And uh, the more I think about it, the more I wish I could play it right now. Oh. So there it is. Number 98 on my list is Jurassic Park on the Game Boy. Whoop, whoop. Super. Moving on to Mr. Chris Dow. Please, can you tell us what is your number 98? My number 98 is uh, the first game that we've had on the Wii U. Ooh. Oh, boy. Here we go. Nintendo's strange experiment that led to the much more successful switch and it is an rpg <gasps> and there were, were not that many released really for the for the wii u so that probably narrows it down for people and it is what i would describe if someone said what is this game like i would call it the proto breath of the world if that helps for anyone as well oh here we go and it is xenoblade chronicles x <gasps> what a great game it's it's a weird game but yeah it is a great game never played it I, w- I would implore you, dig out dig out the Wii U, come on. Oh, I've sunk about 400 hours into it. I, there, I believe there is talk of it being ported to the Switch, and if that happens, I will certainly get it, for I no longer have a Wii U. Basically, I, I never finished it back in the day, and I'm desperate for this announcement, like you say, that if it does come to the Switch, 
I'd like to play it properly and, and really put some time into it. Because uh, at the moment, I'm kind of in two minds. If I do start it again on the Wii U, I might get a big chunk of time through and then suddenly go, oh, it's coming out next week on the Switch. And that'll really annoy me. Absolutely. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sort of, I haven't made that jump yet. But yeah, it's, it's a really strange game. It's a, a pseudo sequel to Xenoblade Chronicles on the Wii and later the 3DS or the new 3DS, except it strips out basically all of the narrative that kind of drove that game and instead presents itself almost as like an offline single player massively multiplayer online game that isn't online in any, any way or any meaningful way or multiplayer yeah exactly that sounds perfect i think that was the biggest <laughs> thing that drew me to it because i i never had the the, the time commitment to say okay i'm going to play an mmo properly for years and years yet this sort of game honestly feels like that that a lot of the quests are that kind of like quick sort of pick up either like a mini little fetch quest or kill x amount of whatever or go and find this thing or get to that place but the, the thing that really drew me in is that it has an insane sense of scale. And that's why I mentioned kind of like this idea of the, the proto Breath of the Wild. And Monolith Soft did go on to support Nintendo in doing Breath of the Wild. So there's definitely like some lineage there, I think. Of course they did, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's, it's unique, but I probably played it for a lot less than Minty. I, I think I probably played like 60 odd hours or something and basically made no progress because I'd, I'd get swept up in this idea of things like maintaining like collections of flora and fauna that you'd pick up oh i love doing that sort of stuff uh, yeah any any games like that that catalog little tiny sort of minutiae will just totally throw me off the scent like i, I just give up on the story it's just like gotta find three frogs off we go <laughs> and that was the, that was the majority of my playtime. it's a fantastic place to explore and that that's kind of like the big big draw for me like the battle system is good it's kind of it's a similar sort of active battle system like Xenoblade Chronicles and Chronicles 2 that came out not that long ago. Um, so you're kind of you're controlling a central character and everything's moving around you and you're managing kind of cooldown times on attacks and, and whatever. Um, but again, in a similar way to the, the sort of MMOs I mentioned earlier, it's you don't have to be like on top of an enemy to actually attack it as long as you're in like a set range for whatever the attack might be. So it, it kind of has certain things you have to get used to because it doesn't have the same like impact and connection that you expect maybe from like an action RPG like Zelda, for instance. And you had obviously a party of characters that were kind of, again, less of a personality than they had in Xenoblade Chronicles, but still kept the same annoying style of voice acting so there's always that anytime a, you know an action cooldown is replenished they they shout something to, to let you know and that does get quite annoying after after you know 50 60 hours and onwards definitely yeah it's, it's about the sense of place it's, it's definitely a game that's about place and exploration and i think there's a few on my list as we go further up that kind of have that feel as well that it's kind of more about the journey through something that it necessarily is about like finishing a storyline or a quest line or something like that yeah i haven't even mentioned as well like the ridiculous kind of mech things you unlock about nine million hours into the game oh, the scales yeah yeah the scales it's it's very odd that they made that choice to say like oh there's this big thing you're working towards but you can't have it until you've, you've basically put in ten thousand hours into our game but again that changed the way that you you got into combat changed the way you moved across the the, the vistas and the, these kind of big worlds and, and biomes of this planet all of it because it was such kind of like a push to just explore it still felt rewarding it still felt kind of worthwhile as you were you were unlocking stuff or, or finding new things or meeting new characters etc etc and it was a beautiful thing to behold it was just stunning visually yeah absolutely and i think the closest thing you can say was kind of in the same way that we understand now with like minecraft having different biomes like an ice area or a water area or a, a desert type area the, the different sections of the planet were kind of like broken off into sections in that same way so it, it was there was no loading between it like you could potentially run across this humongous map 
uh, and never encounter any sort of screens. Very convenient topology. You could say it was a gritty reboot of uh, Super Mario World. Yeah, it does actually have, <laughs> have a sense of that. Did you hear that? Actually, uh, the main central story is actually a loose adaptation of George's Marvelous Medicine. <laughs> 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 and the scales are based on his grandmother. With <laughs> <laughs> a puckered up mouth like a dog's bottom. <laughs> a little pooper. <laughs> it's a good game. Go and play it. It's full of wonder and a sense of traversal and intrigue and uh, alien exploration. And I wholeheartedly hope it comes to the Switch because then I can play it again properly. I didn't get around to playing it. I was a huge fan of uh, Xenoblade Chronicles uh, on the 3DS and again of the sequel on the Switch. I remember when Xenoblade Chronicles X came out, I was so excited for it. But then when it came out, I was like, oh, I don't have the time to get into it right now. And now turned into... Well, now and I still haven't played it <laughs> but there we are thank you very much Christopher uh, number 98 on your list Xenoblade Chronicles 10 <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, don't, I don't know why that tickled me so much uh, lastly but by no means leastly let's move on to Minty uh, can you please tell us about your number 98 I can yes so then do I will good I'm a man rapidly approaching 30. So join me in uh, taking a trip back 20 years to 1998. I was but a fresh-faced 10-year-old boy. A nipper. A wee bairn. Ooh, wee bairn, a nipper, all the rest of it. And uh, we, we just procured a Nintendo 64. Ooh. Yes, this was this was quite early in the in the N64's life cycle, and my parents were very aware that um, they bought this console for me and my sister to share and enjoy. We went to our local game station, and uh, we were looking for a new N64 game to enjoy. They pointed to one with uh, with quite a, an exciting box, and uh, and they said, "What about this one?" Now, of course, I have been reading about five different editions of. Nintendo publications at this point and I'd read about this game that they pointed at and I thought no no thank you let's go for this one which was what I thought would be a little bit more friendly towards our current dispositions at the time her being a seven-year-old girl and me being a nine-year-old boy mm. that game was uh, from Konami who were known for of course uh, Pro Evo, Contra, Metal Gear Solid this is in a league of its own I think it eclipses them if you ask my humble opinion, this is the 1998 2.5D fighting game on the N64, Rakuga Kids. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a deep cut. <laughs> Imagine, right? You're me. I'm there. I'm sort of dancing around on the hype of the SNES with its, uh, with its Street Fighter, Street Fighter 2, oh, yeah. Street Fighter 2 Turbo. Uh, we've had Mortal Kombat 3, all that sort of thing. All these sort of realistic games where it's just basically humans getting beaten up. So the premise of the game is that some childhood friends find a magic box of crayons and whatever they draw comes to life. Like Penny Crayon. Like Penny Crayon, yeah. And remember, other illustrative children's TV shows are available. Of course, <laughs> of course. Um, but this was, this was used as a... I never watched Penny Crayon, so this reference is lost on me. I'm ever so sorry. Ooh, you're, you're whistling at an arresting pitch. I'll be honest, I pitched it far too high. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm really struggling to purse. That's fine. Um, don't feel you have to continue. But anyway, this group of neighborhood kids find a magic box of crayons. Whatever they draw comes to life. So instead of drawing what I assume furthers the narrative in Penny Crayon, which I assume is like things like, I don't know, a saucepan if she needs to cook in an episode or a flower pot if she needs to help the florist. It's not Scribblenauts, where she can just draw Cthulhu to solve all her issues. I've never seen this. I'm clutching at straws. In this game, the main goal of her finding this box of crayons was... Um, pugilism you'd have these uh, these six neighborhood kids they they've each drawn their specific fighters one was a a tank crossed with a bear with a particularly uh, wholesome and childish twist another was a cowboy much like the lone ranger with the bandana across his eyes it was an astronaut with a head shaped like a lemon another fruit shaped another fruit shaped <laughs> character. character every yes. episode yeah. every episode that's yeah. the theme there was a robot drawn by Jerry, and his older brother, Val, was the primary antagonist of the story mode. Ah. And he'd sort of drawn like a like a rubbery yellow man who had a cape, and for his taunt, he'd just show his ass to the screen, like... So in many ways, he'd do a tank taunt. Yeah, yeah. Which is very different to a TED talk. Of course. So basically, it's, it's Penny Crayon's bare-knuckle boxing. Every single character was wonderfully designed, very, very quirky. Every character had its own special attack, defensive attack, and counter-attack. And they were all completely different. Like, the robot would, like, just draw an assembly line with a pencil protruding from its chest. Gosh. And it would chop uh, your opponents into nine pieces. Uh, the bear would cast a fishing rod with a, with a leg of lamb. As bears are wont to do. Exactly, yeah. Rooted in realism, this mm. game. Mm. And a giant lion submarine would eat it and then cause massive damage to the opponent. I think the, the witch with the chicken hat special attack was to put them into a, a living pumpkin coach. They just went off screen and did huge damage. That sounds superb. It was a really lovely, wholesome little game that you could just sort of play in between. Between homework and, uh, and news round. Yeah, between I do, I'd, I'd write an essay on rivers for geography class, Oxbow lakes, Oxbow lakes, mm. um, coastal erosion. It's always coastal erosion. Switch over. Oh, there's Lizo. But in between that, oh, let's uh, let's enjoy some Rakuga kids. It was just a nice, instantly gratifying fighting game that didn't have the sort of heavy, gritty realism of Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat. Perfect. And what you've done that's been, been lovely as well is I haven't played that game since I was about that age or a little, little bit older. And your descriptions are so vivid. I, 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 can, I can see these attacks in front of me. Like you, you've, you've painted such a picture. Much like Penny Crayon. But the one thing I do remember about it was I left my N64 on overnight for three days because every 10 hours you'd unlock a cheat. When uh, my brother left his ZX Spectrum playing Batman on pause over dinner, it froze and never worked again. Oh, no. Which, in many ways, was an even bigger cheat. Damn you, Clive Sinclair. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Minty, for that uh, colourful and painted trip down memory lane. About a game involving crayons. I see what you did there. These links don't write themselves, mate. I, uh, <laughs> sculpting. That wraps it up for another episode. A Jurassic Park... Xenoblade Chronicles X and Rakuga Kids. 
How wonderful. If anybody has any comments or feedback or any questions you'd like us to answer or topics you'd like us to discuss, uh, feel free to get in touch. You can tweet me at Jonathan Dunn. You can tweet me at Chaz underscore Hodges. Has Twitter gotten better in the past week? No? Then find me on Instagram. I'm Drunk Ollivander. Yes, he is. Use our hashtag our three cents and join us next week for our number 97s. Ooh. Ooh.